If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Genesis chapter number 6. Genesis chapter number 6. And um, I want to talk to you about Noah's day. Noah's day. Let's take a reading from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 22. We're going to, this is the whole chapter. We're not going to preach through the whole chapter, but just to give you the, the full view of what's going on in the past. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 1. I'm reading from the New, Interna- the New International Version. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and that word Nephilim just means giant. Just means giant. You can read it this way. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great wickedness, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. My Bible has a footnote here that says that's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every clean animal, a male and its mate, 
and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep alive their various ki- keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. Let's, let's have a, sh- a short prayer together. Father, I pray that you would guide my, guide my lips as I give this sermon. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will speak to the hearts of these people who have come, Lord, that they would receive something from you. Maybe today, Lord, for the first time in the lives of some of these dear people, they would really have a genuine connection with you. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and most glorious name. Amen. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this, that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning so that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. So I'm leaping back into the Old Testament to this account of Noah and I want to talk to you about some things that took place in Noah's day because the day in which we live is a day not unlike Noah's time. It's a very similar time in human history. I want you to notice, first of all, man's condition in Genesis 6, verses 1 to 5. The Bible says that God looked on man, and all they were consumed with, all they cared about, was doing evil, was doing wrong, was pursuing their own deserts. There is a a rejection of God's order in verses 1 and 2. Now, in the NIV, this is so painfully clear to me that when the sons of God come down and intermarry with the sons, the daughters of man, that this is an intermarriage between angelic beings and human women. This is a striking thing. This is not something that I really understand. I don't really know how this can be. The NIV makes it painfully clear that that's what it is. In the authorized version, there's wiggle room <laughs> to say it's not, it's not angelic beings. But here, it's, it seems to say it plainly. It tells the daughters humans when they saw these human daughters. There's this intermarriage between the fallen angels, I guess it has to be fallen angels, and the daughters of man. And the offspring they produce is a strange creature a sort of hybrid being that leads the world into corruption. Now what you have here is a rejection of God's divine order. God had said that man was to bring forth after his own kind, animals bringing forth after their own kind. Angels did not have a kind. They do not reproduce. But in some way here, they reject God's order and they come together and they produce these super people, I guess you would say. Now... That whole conversation about what these people were and how this can be, that's, that's an interesting conversation. But we don't have time to get into that. I just want to touch the top of it and say that mankind's, mankind tends to always reject God's natural order. Man is in rebellion against his maker. 
Man does not want to be overseen by God. Man does not want to be controlled by God. And so man rebels against God. Even in the most basic structures of life, man rebels against God. This is what they do. They reject God. They reject His order. And then in verses 6 through 12, it tells us that man is consumed with violence. Which I take this to mean that man is consumed with selfishness. Consumed with himself, willing to do violence to others to get his way, to get what he wants. Have you ever threatened to whip somebody? <laughs> Trying to get somebody to do something you want, and you give them, threat, give them a threat? A long time ago, I worked at a place that was a, a union shop, and I didn't want to join the union. And so the union guys, they came around, and they said, how come you haven't joined the union? I said, well, I don't, I don't have to join the union because it, it was an open shop, and Arkansas was a right-to-work state, so I didn't have to join. And so one day, a couple of union guys came, and they said, hey, we want to have a little chat with you over here on the side. And I said, okay. And so we went over there to the corner, and they said, how come you're not joining up? And I said, well, I don't need to join up. I got the same protections you guys got. And then, then they began to tell me how badly I needed protection. <laughs> The threat was given. And it wasn't a physical threat. It was just a threat of the what ifs. What if something happens and you ain't got us in your corner, you know? So guess what I did? I joined a union. <laughs> I was born at night, but it wasn't last night, you know? <laughs> I'm some dumb, but I ain't plum dumb. <laughs> so I, The threat. They're using violence to get what they want in the world. Now, it's striking the words used. Every inclination of their heart is only evil continually. That's from the authorized version. That the society in which was on the earth, the world in which Noah was living, every person is bad. There's no decent person. There's nobody worth being around. The whole world is corrupt. They've rejected God. And my friends, as we look around our world, guess what we see? The same thing. The same kind of rejection of God. Man's condition is that he is in rebellion against God. And this manifests itself in different ways, in different times in history. History seems to go in cycles where there's man kind of cycles up and then down and then up and then down. But his basic overarching attitude towards God is I'm not going to obey God. I don't like what God has to say. The world got so bad. Because man rejected God. Remember Romans chapter 1. Because man said no to God. Because they suppressed, they they have the truth, but they suppressed the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. God says, you don't want me in your life. You don't want me in your world. You don't want to listen to my laws and my statutes and my commandments. You want to do things your own way. God says, go ahead. Have a world run by you. Have a world governed by your whimsical ways, your changing attitudes. Go ahead, have at it. And guess what you wind up with? A world like ours. A world like ours. It's out of whack. Man's condition. And then we have God's response to man's condition. Verses 6 to 7. God looks down upon the earth. These are striking words. This is 6 verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart is deeply troubled. God 
looks down and regrets what he has done. He's sorry he did it. It says he's grieved in his heart, in his innermost being. He's wounded by the rejection of man. He's wounded as he sees man destroying himself, as man turns against him, as man destroys himself, as man consumes himself. God is wounded. And he's irked. His ire is stirred. And what does he do? I'm going to wipe these people out. Listen to the reading. This is striking. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created. I will take them out. Now why such a great, why such a reaction? Why such a response from God? Because man's sinfulness reveals how they feel about God. And the long-suffering mercy of God has run out. Has run out. And God's going to judge them. God's going to judge them. In the authorized version, there's this past, this phrase that comes up in the Psalms all the time, and it's, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. If you have an NIV, ESV, at all, <laughs> you won't see that phrase. You'll see God's steadfast love. Steadfast love. It's an interesting, it's an inter- interesting change. I agree with the change. Because the mercy of the Lord does not endure forever. The mercy of the Lord does not endure forever. Mercy means to treat someone better than they deserve. But in the last day, at that final day of judgment, God's going to treat every person who is outside of Christ exactly how they deserve to be treated. The eternal torment of the lake of fire. That's not a place of mercy. That's a place of justice. That's a place of wrath. That's a real thing. And that's where man's... So God's mercy is going to run out. And as you read Scripture, that's exactly what you see. God's mercy comes to an end. And He says, I've given you all this time. I've given you all these opportunities, but no more. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like you and me. Have you ever cut your kids some slack? Your kid's acting like a little crazy Neanderthal. And you begin to wonder if, he, if, he, if his mother was a fallen angel. <laughs> or father. I mean, it could be father too, because the fathers are the ones that fell. Yeah. And you say, look, one more time, and you're dead meat. And you, and you give them a chance, and then they do it again. Now look, I told you. This is your last chance. It's your last warning. Then if you're like most parents, maybe you get to level five or six of that before finally, you know, you go nuclear on them, and boom, and the whole world blows up. Our mercy runs out with people. God's mercy runs out. And here he says, I'm going to destroy man from the face of the earth. But when God intends to judge, he's still merciful in his judgment because he says, I'm gonna, my spirit will not always strive with man. There won't always be this running with man. I'm going to give them 120 
more years. 120 more years. And 2 Peter 2.5 says that this man Noah who appears, it doesn't say this in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it says that this man Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now that is striking to me. It doesn't say he's a preacher of the gospel. It says he's a preacher of righteousness. That Noah comes on the scene in a world that's corrupt, in a world that's going off the tracks. Noah comes on the scene and says, do what's right. Mend your ways. He comes declaring to them the truth of God's word, calling them to turn from their wicked ways, turn back to a life and way that pleases God. Turn away from your iniquity. Come back to the Lord. He's a preacher of righteousness. And he comes and for 120 years, he proclaims this, this message of warning, this message of turn, this message of impending judgment. For 120 years, God is merciful still. And I want to say to you candidly, that is exactly what I'm trying to do for you today. I am here to warn you. I am here to tell you to turn from your wicked ways. You say, well, this is a church. I know. You say, well, we're all Christianized people. That's probably true. But we all tend to drift from God. I use the word drift intentionally. We all tend to drift from God. We don't mean to get far away from God. You ever been in a boat and been fishing? And you get to fishing, and you get to fishing, and all you can think about is fish? Because that's all that's worth thinking about, fish. And then all of a sudden you feel a thud on the bottom of your boat, or hear your boat scrape up on the gravel, or turn around to realize you're about to go over Niagara Falls. You didn't mean to get yourself in a bad scrape. You didn't mean to get yourself in trouble. But you just drifted the wrong way. You drifted too far. You ever go swimming in the ocean? You're out there in the water and you're just getting out there further and further and further until finally you're too far? And something's happened. You can't get back. You didn't mean for that to happen. And my friends, a lot of us, we drift into sin the same way. We don't mean to get into these deep, dark, nasty, ugly, gritty sins, but we drift little by little into sins we never thought we'd get into. And then we wake up and we realize, how in the world did I get here? Just an inch at a time. Just a day at a time. And I'm here to warn you, because I don't know what's going on in your life. And you don't know what's going on in my life either, do you? So this is a warning not just for you, it's a warning for me as well. Do not drift from the Lord, from His ways. Turn back to Him. Do not run off into the fields of sin. If you realize you have gotten away from Him, if you feel distance from God, if you feel away from God, come back to Him. Come back to Him. Noah comes as a preacher of righteousness. How do you feel about God this morning? Is your love for God 
in our precious Savior, Jesus Christ? Is it as warm and as robust as it has been in the past? Maybe circumstances in your life have caused you to lose the joy of the Lord. That can happen. Maybe sin has caused you to lose the joy of the Lord. Maybe frustrations. My friends, I'm calling you back to Him. Back to Him. Number three, the last point. Noah. A role model for us all. Let's look at the man Noah. I'm going to give you 27 things about Noah. (laughs) We'll be done. Not 27. Only four. First of all, Noah begins his service for the Lord alone. Alone. This is, this is my own speculation. This is teriology. My own idea. And I take this because the Bible says in Rome, not in Romans, but in Genesis chapter 5, verse 32, that Noah is 500 years old when he becomes a father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He's 500 years old. In Genesis chapter 6, verse number 6, it says that Noah is 600 years old when the flood comes. 600 minus 120 leaves us with what number? 480. So when Noah is called to go forward in service for the Lord, he doesn't have any kids. He doesn't have any children. And I I kind of think this means he also doesn't have a wife either. That's my own speculation. He begins alone. And I would venture to say that most people begin their life of service for God, they begin their Christian life sometimes alone. Alone. But is Noah really alone? Or does he have God with him? He has the Lord. You have God with you. You may be here today and you're alone. You may have no one else in your family or no one else in your house who's a Christian. Maybe you are living on your own. Maybe you're by yourself. God is there with you. He begins his service with God. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 20 says this. He's in prison. He says, at my first call, there was nobody to stand with me. He goes down a list and says, everybody forsook me. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. The Lord was with me. You may be the only person in your friend group who's a Christian. You may be the only person in your family who's a Christian. You may be the only person at your job who's a Christian. But the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And your situation is not as bad as Noah's situation. Because the Bible says there ain't nobody in the whole world that cared about God except for Noah. He's the only one. He's all alone. Now, you probably won't be alone the whole time because what does Noah wind up with? Well, he gets three kids. In order to get three kids, you've got to have something before you have a kid. He gets a wife. The Lord gives him a wife. And brothers, let's all, let's, all, let's, all, let's all be a little happy, amen? Whoso findeth a wife findeth what kind of thing? A good thing. If you, th- if you think your wife's a good thing, say amen. You guys stink. <laughs> Doesn't say that about husbands, though, does it? <laughs> it only says the wives are good. 
God gave him a wife and God gives him children. He starts alone, but he doesn't stay alone. Noah begins alone serving the Lord. Number two, Noah believes God and he obeys God even though obeying God made him look crazy. Crazy. If you take these measurements here and you build what it says to build, what you get is a big box. In fact, the word ark is from a Hebrew word that means box. A box. Now, do you think the people in Noah's day had ever seen a box? Of course they had. You got to have a box to put your stuff in. You got to have a toolbox. You got to have a, uh, what's, what's the thing you put all your towels inside of? Uh, I don't know. Boxes. <laughs> they had to have boxes for all kinds of stuff. Now, if you go to our house, we have all kinds of boxes, but sometimes we call them totes, right? What's a tote? Plastic box. That's all it is. Got all this stuff. And we got it jammed into stuff. We got totes here, we got totes there, we got totes everywhere. I got a tote, you got a tote, all of God's children got totes. They're everywhere, crammed everywhere. We even got some big totes big enough to put a, bo- a body in. <laughs> and we can tote you to the graveyard, you know. Now here is Noah, and he starts building the box at wherever he starts building it. Now listen, friends, you've got to get Ken Ham's his ark out of your mind. I don't know that the ark looked like Ken Ham's ark, right? I don't think it looked like a boat at all. I think it looked like something ordinary that everybody understood. It was a box. And so people come by Noah's house, and they see this big superstructure going up in the backyard. Noah, what are you building? I'm building a box. Why are you building such a big box? Your wife been on Amazon again? <laughs> well, why, why such a big box? Well, God told me to build it. God, why does God want you to build a box? Because I'm going to put something in it. What are you going to put in it? Me? <laughs> and two of every kind of animal. And seven of some kinds of animals. Male and female. I've got to put food in there. I'm building a box. So I can get in it and put all these animals in it. Now, what if, your na- if you go to your neighbor's house, what, what are you going to say to him? He tells you he's building a box. He's going to put himself in a bunch of animals. What are you going to say to your neighbor? You're not going to say anything. You're never going to talk to him again. <laughs> he's off the chain crazy. So Noah's building this box. He's building this big thing. And he tells them, God's going, God's going to make it rain. Judgment's coming. The culture in which he lived had to think he was off his rocker. But he believes God and he obeys God. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Noah moved with fear. So there's haste involved there. There's seriousness involved. Noah believed God and obeyed God even though it made him seem crazy to his culture and to his world. Is that you? Are you a Christian? Are you committed to God even though the people in your life, in your peer group, are saying you're crazy? Are you committed to Him even though you're getting laughed at and mocked and ridiculed? Are you committed to Him? 
This is our role model. We should be committed to God and to his word, even though the world says, you guys are nuts. Even though the world says, you guys are mean over there. Are you committed to God? Are you committed to Scripture? Are you so committed to Scripture that you will embrace the shame and ridicule of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Because that's going to happen to you. When somebody comes to you and says, well, how come you don't do this or do that? If you say, it's because I'm trying to follow Christ, that's going to be met with some ridicule. Not every time, but sometimes it will. Are you committed to Scripture, to what the Bible says. Thirdly, Noah's faith led ultimately to his family following him into the ark. Now, to me, this is the most striking part about this story. It's in, in the last day, in a world that's gone crazy, Noah walks in the ark, and Mrs. Noah goes with him. But there's his own three sons, grown and married, And Noah walks into that ark, into that box, with his wife. And who comes in behind him? Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Now, friends, we don't know if they were early comers to the project. We don't know if Shem, Ham, and Japheth, when they got to be 16, 17 years old, we don't know if they hung around to help dad out. We don't know if they believed God's word or God's message at all. We don't know what it took to get from point A to point B. We don't know all the in-between story. We don't know if those boys went far afield themselves into wickedness and came back. We don't know. But what we do know is that in the last day, ultimately, Noah and his wife, they blazed a trail to glory. They walked a path of faith that those boys could find and get in that ark. I want to ask you a question, mom and dad. Is that what you're doing for your kids? Are you showing them the path to salvation? Are you walking into the ark? Your kids, they grow up and they get out there and all kinds of stuff. They may, they may go just hog wild. But when they come to themselves like the prodigal son... He knew where to find his daddy, didn't he? And when he got there, where was his daddy? He was there. (laughs) Fixed in his faith, fixed in his purpose. Noah's faith, his confidence in God, had trickle-down effects. And his kids walked into that ark on the last day with him and his wife. His faith. His faith led his family ultimately to following him into the ark. Number four. This man, Noah, was not a perfect man. This is how we tend to read people in the Bible. We, we look at their lives and go, well, they were perfect. <laughs> how did they pull that off? They were perfect. They were a better man or better woman than I am. There was something different about them. No, they're the same. We know Noah was not perfect because Genesis chapter 6 tells us that after Noah goes through the flood, 
gets off the ark, Noah plants a vineyard. And what does Noah do with the fruits of the vineyard? He cooks up some hooch. He makes some wine. He gets the, you know, they were, he was probably from Arkansas, and they brought the still on the ark. Because you've got to bring the essentials. <laughs> he plants a vineyard. He makes some wine. And he gets drunk off his rocker. He gets smashed. And that's a very interesting passage of Scripture, too, because the Bible says that Ham... What does the NIV say about it? I'm going to say something wild. What verse is it? Because I can't find it right offhand. 22, thank you. Ham, the father of Canaan. Okay, verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, and when he drank of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on their shoulders, and they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they could not see their father naked. Noah gets drunk, passes out naked in the living room, some, some commentators say that there's some kind of skullduggery that takes place here that causes God to judge him. Now here is Noah, after riding this great wave of spiritual victory and faith, falling flat on his face, literally drunk. So we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about perfect faith. We're talking about faith overall. He was committed to God even though he is falling short. And when you look at your own life, you're going to look at your life of faith and go, I failed here, I failed here, and I failed here. But your faith is not in you. Your faith is not in your performance. Your faith is in God. God. Noah, by faith, doing what the Lord wanted him to do. Where is your faith? Is your faith in God? Last things I want to say to you. As a Christian person in this world, where everything's going sideways, Romans 15.4 tells us that the things which are written aforetime, the things that were written in the past, are written for our learning. Listen to what it says. Things were written aforetime for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. If you want to have comfort, be helped in your patience, and have hope for the future, you need to read that Bible. You need to read the Bible. One chapter a day for the rest of your life will turn you from Barney Fife into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Spiritually. Praying the Lord's Prayer. One chapter a day Praying the Lord's Prayer from a heart of faith will change you in a way you can't believe. But you have to believe it'll change you. If you believe it'll change you, you'll do it. You'll do it. Start with any book of the Bible. Start with John or Psalms or Genesis. 
Read the Bible. Pray the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6. You can find it. Matthew chapter 6. Read that chapter. You'll find it. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory. For never and ever. Amen. Pray the Lord's Prayer from your heart. From your heart. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you bless these words to our hearts. Stir up our faith. Stir up our mind. Stir up our love. We pray in Christ's holy name.